From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Pundick, and in the words of Eminem, Florida, the Florida State Seminoles have snapped back to reality as they fall to the Louisville Cardinals 48-16 in the Derby City Derby City on Saturday afternoon. We'll get to all things FSU football in just a moment, along with World Series, NFL, and a little bit of college football soon. But first, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host Austin Reynolds. Austin, the Falcons, how do they keep doing this? They they blew another lead. They had they were around 90% chance to win according to ESPN's FPI for the third time this year, and they blow it to the Detroit Lions. It's really hard to explain. I, I don't really have any takeaways from the choke itself because I'm so conditioned to this team choking in such a manner. But what I do want to focus on is the people blaming Todd Gurley for uh, scoring a touchdown at the end of the Falcons drive because I don't think he's to blame for putting points on the board. I mean, obviously, like intentionally going down is a strategy there, but you could also blame the defense for giving up 75 yards to a team with no timeouts in a minute and four seconds. You can also blame coaching for not taking a field goal a couple drives earlier, leaving points on the field. Uh, they instead went for it on fourth down. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm numb to the Falcons' pain. I'm just annoyed at some some of the narratives that have come from this. I agree. It's not all Todd Gurley's fault here, but wh- especially when Penn State loses in almost nearly the oh, same yeah. <laughs> exact fashion, it stands out a lot more in that game. So, yeah, it's it was a rough one to watch, really. I saw it. I was like, no, here we go again. It's Penn State all over. So, We'll get to talking about Penn State, too, later on, because that was a that was a fun game to watch, too. There's a lot of good football, a lot of good sports on this weekend. But we also have Sebastian Angel Riano in the fish tank. Your Tampa Bay Rays are down 3-2 to two in the World Series right now. How are you feeling at this moment about them? Well, just looks like we're going to have to go the long way around, doesn't it? <laughs> I've said this at the end of ever, or once the uh, past three series have gone down to the wire. I'm going to say it again. Um... Can this team come back? I hope so. Um, the writing is on the wall, unfortunately. We'll, we'll probably talk about it in a bit, right? Um, but um, you can't lose hope, because if you don't have hope, what do you have? Exactly. But I, It's going to be a lot of fun these next couple of games. If we get a couple, it might just be over tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on Tuesday. So, but, And last but not least, we also have Gabe Tisness on the phone here calling in. Gabe, how are you doing, and how are you feeling about your Saints lately? I mean, they got a pretty decent win over the Carolina Panthers yesterday, but what is it going to take for this team to also get over the hump that seems to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now in that division? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show, as always. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I went to go vote today, so pretty important uh, day for me. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the Saints, they're doing good. They're they're getting better. Um, We still are missing Michael Thomas so much. So until we get him back, we're really not going to be able to see the Saints at full strength. And uh, for now, I mean, I, I like the appearance of the freshman wide – or not the freshman, the rookie wide receiver. I forgot his name. He, he stepped up really big in this game. And then Emmanuel Sanders also was absent. So it was good to see the Saints without their starting two receivers and still be able to, you know, have Drew Brees throw to a couple other guys and uh, get the W at home. That was the most important thing. I'm really scared of the Bucks. I know there's a lot of a lot of Bucks fans here in Tallahassee, but yeah, we we got a Sunday night football matchup coming up in just two weeks, I think. So it'll be interesting to see um, how how it goes down in Tampa. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun watching it go down in that NFC South division and a lot of the other NFC divisions, especially the NFC East, in my opinion. But Let's get on to some FSE football because they had a downer stinker. of a, a yeah a stinker a downer <laughs> of a football game. If you're a Florida State football fan, they lost to Louisville 48 to 16 on Saturday afternoon, and they now drop to two and four as Louisville improves to two and four. So it's a matchup of two not great teams in the ACC this Saturday, but eventually Louisville picks it picks up the win as Malik Cunningham. I mean, Malik Cunningham had a great day, 16 for 24, 278 passing yards, two touchdowns, and then 2-2 Atwell on the receiving end. I mean, the guy was phenomenal. He had 129 yards over just three catches. I mean, three catches. We'll talk about the FSU defense in just a moment, but Florida State, they got out to an early 7-0 lead because they got the ball first, and then the offense just went flat as only was that eight more, nine more points where he yeah, scored the rest of the game so a lot to unpack there but Austin what was your take on this game for Florida State 
just absolutely nothing went right for Florida State on honestly like the offensive line they they were better I think than in uh, in previous games only giving up two sacks I mean two sacks is still kind of not the greatest performance but I mean Travis was able to stay on his feet a, a lot longer than uh, I would have thought uh, the defense though they just got shredded in every avenue I mean when their leading receiver Tutu Atwell is averaging 43 yards a catch I mean obviously small sample size but just three bombs down the field really it's it's hard to make an excuse for that and I mean just on, on last week's show, we were talking about how this could be the the, the next step for FSU because they took down the number five ranked uh, UNC Tar Heels and they were going up against what pretty much everybody thought was a far inferior opponent in the Louisville Cardinals. 0-4 in ACC play, if I'm not mistaken, until Saturday. So this was just completely out of left field for me and a lot of FSU uh, people that cover FSU. So, I mean... I don't know what to make of this. Yeah, because especially it felt like Florida State had turned a corner after yes. that UNC game. Everything yes. was starting to go in the right direction for this team. They had the momentum, and then they just came out and fell flat on their face in Louisville. And they have been playing pretty bad against the Cardinals in recent no, history. I'm talking on the phone. They've been playing pretty poorly against Louisville in past games, but this one, I mean, was just bad. It's not... It's not something great and something that you want to see. Sorry for the technical difficulties there. We have Gabe on the phone. I just had to lower his volume there a bit. But well, he set his alarm. It's, it's good that he, he remembered. Exactly. I think, he was, I think he was in his car, but either way. But Florida State, like I said, let me get back on track here. They could not get any sort of offense going after their first most likely scripted drive against Louisville. And it's, uh, it's disconcerting to see. It's really concerning to see that because, like we said, it felt like they turned a corner. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the scripted first drive. That's been the case for, I think, now three of FSC's games so far. The first drive of the game against Georgia Tech, Miami, and now Louisville has looked impressive. Uh, the, the touchdown that Travis scored, as improbable as it may have been, the one against Louisville on this first drive, I mean, it was really fun to watch. And then just the entire team fell apart after that. So I don't know if it's just a matter of not having the right schemes in place after that first scripted drive, but something obviously has to change if FSC is to stay competitive. Well, the drops didn't help uh, Saturday night, correct? I felt like uh, in the last quarter, any sort of momentum that Florida State would try to get going, um, no matter how many late-game heroics um, Travis managed to uh, pull out, he just couldn't find a wide receiver that could drop or that could find a catch for whatever reason. Well, we'll talk about a little bit more about those drops later once we get to Chubba Purdy, but I wanted to hear Gabe. Gabe, are you all good over there? Is everything all right? Yeah, yeah I'm good. Okay, sweet. You're good. All right. Uh, but, Gabe, what did you think about this Florida State game, and how did you feel about the way that this team came out, especially in this first half? You know, I was pretty confident after the first drive. You know, we scored, and <laughs> it seemed like it was going to be a game. And then a couple of drives later, it just we couldn't stop them. And it was just like, man, <laughs> I don't understand how it's so hard to, to stop the Louisville offense when we literally held UNC – seven points a half last week. It was, it was very disappointing to see them come out like that. And I, I really don't have answers. Once again, I feel like every time I'm on, I'm on the show this season, I come after a loss and I'm very disappointed <laughs> and I really don't have many, many positive things to say. So just kind of keep it short this time. No, I get that. It's, it's tough to kind of come out and try and make excuses for this team and this game because it's, it's just a bad game it's once again it's another bad game that florida state has had and they can't stop having these sort of games and all their losses this year except for the georgia tech loss which was 16 to 13 have been by a huge deficit you got 52 to 10 to miami you have 42 to 26 to notre dame and then you have 48 to 16 to louisville and two of those teams are good notre dame and miami i'd say they're both good teams georgia tech maybe not so good and louisville not so good as well in comparison to the rest of the nation. So when they're coming out and falling flat on their face against this team, it's there's a lot. I don't know. It's just crazy to look at. And we can talk. We can start really with their the passing game here because once again, Tamari Terry is not in the lineup for this game. And once again, they seem like they miss him a lot because you have Cam McDonald two catches forty eight yards, Ontario Wilson five catches for twenty seven yards. I'm pretty sure that's the most catches anyone on this team has had in a single game Probably since so. Terry has left after Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean it, it's good that we're seeing the ball spread out a little bit more, like five catches, two catches, three catches among the receivers. But 
the total yards just aren't there. And I mean, we, we keep hearkening back to it whenever we talk about Terry, how he is this security blanket, safety blanket, whatever, for Travis, especially with his inexperience in the passing game. So, I mean, it, it's good to see other guys uh, being able to catch balls. I just, we just, we need to see FSU develop a, a downfield threat in Terry's absence. Exactly, and that's something we saw Keyshawn Helton go deep a couple times when uh, during this season, but there's nothing like Terry right now because you look at the long plays or the longest play for each of these receivers. You got Cam McDonald with a 30, but that really wasn't a 30-yard pass in the air. No. It was a dump off, and then Cam McDonald just kept on moving somehow all the way through that play. Then you have 13, 17, 13, 14, and 4. So nothing is truly a long play out of this offense. And Gabe, is there anything that they can do to kind of replace this loss of Terry? Because I know we're on week three now. This is week three of football without Terry, tomorrow on Terry. Is there anything they can do to kind of replace and maybe patch that wound? Um, not really. <laughs> I mean, play action is the, the best trend for quarterbacks after run after the run game. So. I would just advise to run the ball more early and often during the first quarter because that'll just set up the, the the play action for the receivers to take advantage of and not have to you know have to go against such um, heavily uh, defensive schemes with with DBs and stuff. So yeah, I I don't really know. <laughs> this, this receiving core is leaving much to be desired of right now. For sure, and like in their first drive, they go pass or it's pass complete to Cam Mc, or sorry, it's yeah, it's pass complete to Cam McDonald. You have a passing complete. You have a run, a run, pass incomplete, run, and then another run. So they're trying to keep it kind of even. It seems like in the play call, especially on at least on that first drive there, but there's nothing that screams we have something that works every single time, and we have like Austin said that safety blanket. So even with the run game, and the run game is looking pretty good right now, and we can talk about that too, but there's nothing, no one's busting out right now for 100 plus yards in a game that we've seen before. We see kind of an evenly spread between Webb, Telefili, and Corbin. So is the run, like Austin, do you think the run game is the answer to filling in that hole that is Terry? I think it could be because you have three really talented backs in LaDamian Webb, Lawrence Telefili, and uh, Jashawn Corbin. It's like we said, it's a little bit of a different look from FSU teams of years past where you just rely on Cam Akers or Dalvin Cook or whoever to get get their 120 yards a game and just ride the run game to victory in the absence of a deep uh, passing threat. So, I mean, the, the numbers might not jump off the page for these running backs, but especially for Tolafili, um and uh, LaDamian Webb because it's his first year in, this, in the system. Um, I mean, they, they just need some time to get adjusted and they can become a pretty decent, at least two-headed monster. Maybe one of these guys doesn't pan out, but you don't need that dominant running back like you've had in years past. That's not the only formula for success. Exactly, because other than just the three running back, true backs that we have in, that Florida State has in the backfield, you also have uh, Jordan Travis. So yes. you have other choices to go with there. And I want to talk about another thing that probably does, hasn't gotten a lot of press probably around Florida State, at least this year. I know past seasons has gotten a lot of talk, but it's the Florida State kicking. And... Ugh. I know last year, Ricky Aguayo, his last year, he went 7 for 14, 50%. Not great. This year, Florida State has Parker Grothus and Ryan Fitzgerald. Ryan Fitzgerald, the redshirt freshman, recruit from a couple seasons ago, and Parker Grothus, the walk-on who got some playing time last season. Uh, Grothus is 2 for 4, 50% this season so far, and Fitzgerald is 4 for 7. Neither of them are, both of them are perfect from inside of 30 yards, but once they get outside of that range, they start to become very inconsistent. Is kicking going to come down and be an issue? Because obviously, we Florida State has had not really any games where a field goal is going to make the difference. But is this going to come back and bite FSU in the butt here? I think so. And I mean, you say there have been games, or there ha- there haven't been games rather, where kicking kicking has been the dif- uh, the difference rather. Uh, no game really so far has come down to a missed kick from one of these two kickers, but. Just missing kicks from 35, 40, 45 yards gives the other team the ball back. And we've seen at least a couple times this season that the other team, once FSU misses a kick, is able to go down and get a score of their own. So not only are you leaving points on the field, you're letting your opponents get scores that would have been a lot tougher for them to come by if you had actually made that kick. So, I mean, I don't know what to what to point to for how to improve the kicking game. 
I mean, it's just been really a sad state of affairs since Roberto Aguayo left the school. I, it, it's, it's tough. Gabe, if you had to choose one of these two guys, Grothus or Fitzgerald, to go out there, game on the line, let's say it's a 40-yard field goal, who do you send? Honestly, it doesn't really make much of a difference to me, but I'd go with Ryan Fitzgerald. He just has a bigger percentage right now. Or, yeah, I think so, yeah. He has a better percentage right now, but it's just a typical college situation with kickers that you don't really trust them in a 40-yard-plus field goal to win the game. You have to watch those. Well, like in the NFL, you don't have to watch those necessarily, and you're confident with them. They'll miss them, but in college, it's like you have to watch them just because they're not really good, so... Yeah, it's something that it's just another weakness for this FSU football team, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's something that it's really interesting on how this Florida State coaching staff is going about choosing who's going to be kicking that week because they've both gotten a pretty decent amount of playing time so far. You have uh, Fitzgerald with seven attempts, and then you have Grothus with four. And Parker got the start on Saturday. He missed. He went 0-for-1 from field goal range, and then he made his two extra point kicks really does hurt these guys in my opinion if they are being flipped out each and every week because no guy can really get into a groove and find that rhythm that they like and that they know because every single time they're going on the field and now they might be coming into a game situation cold and a little bit nervous and shaky whereas they hadn't had the time to maybe knock in a few beforehand or do whatever like what their routine would be for a start and I know you should always practice the way you're going to play, and you should always practice as if you are going to be starting regardless of your situation. But it's different when you are not being entrusted with that starting role week in and week out. Is this really hurting this kicking staff here? I think so, because you point to some of the FSU teams of years past, like 2019. We talked about who could be the answer at quarterback. Is it James Blackman? Is, is it Alex Hornibrook? Is it like nobody thought Jordan Travis was the answer, but I, I remember a few people thinking, why don't we just try him out? And th- the answer we kept coming back to then was, if you split playing time, nobody's going to be really fresh from week to week. And it's the same issue that we're seeing with kickers right now. Like, I mean, none of these guys, is neither of these guys rather, is particularly impressive, especially from 35 yards and out. But I mean, you have to settle on one of them because if you're just flip-flopping kickers for the heck of it to see what works, then eventually you're going to find out that neither of them work because they're not getting the game reps that they need. Gabe, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I've always liked the cliche, uh, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So I guess it also applies for kickers. But I think there's something that needs to be said about kickers and and timeouts. (laughs) Please, Mike Novell, for the love of everything, do not ice your own kicker like Cliff Kingsbury iced his own kicker last night because that'll just be last thing for me to complain about this team. I, I don't think that icing the kicker there, we can talk about that later, but I don't think that was intentional. It looked just more like poor clock management yeah. and he had to get that out so he didn't push his kicker back another five yards, which may have helped. I don't know. Who was, remind, there was an, there was a game that was kind of still within reach last year where um, Wake Forest, Ricky Aguayo missed it in the rain. I was going to say, yes, where Probably Aguayo it. Uh, got iced or something like that. I remember I that. I think that was that Wake Forest game. That was a that was a rough game. I give Ricky a pass on that game just because of the conditions. It's yeah. not easy yeah. to hit a field goal in rain. I remember, especially going, on AstroTurf. I remember not even going being really angry, but kind of if this makes sense, going ballistic with laughter, <laughs> where I was just kind of like, I'm in so much pain that all I can do is laugh right now. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why I felt the need to open that wound right now, but that just came to me. There's a little bit of justice for Turntle right there, RIP. Oh, my goodness. But, we're still paying for Turntle. Exactly. But let's talk about something and something new and something that has nothing to do with the Turntle era of Florida State football. But uh, let's talk about Chubba Purdy because he got his first reps this afternoon or Saturday afternoon. He had nine pass attempts, and he did not complete a single one. Zero. Zero. 0 for 9. Five drops. Granted, five drops. That doesn't help anyone. Maybe if they get a catch there, maybe Florida State ends up with another touchdown in that game. But in my opinion, I did not see anything out of Chuba in this first game. And I know nine passes, like two drives, is a very small sample size and not enough to really make any fair judgment on the guy. But I was not wowed. I was not blown away by the talent that everyone was saying oh, if Blackman's not the guy, then start Chubba. And if Chubba was healthy, Chubba would have the job right now. I, 
come to believe it, I don't believe that right now. Austin? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to have a positive opinion of a guy after going 0 for 9 in his first game action. But I think it's a similar situation to uh, Tate Rotemaker, the other freshman quarterback here, where just you have to get him some more playtime at some point. Obviously, you don't want to use up the red shirt on either of these guys. That's going to be the big issue going forward. And I think it actually plays into FSU's favor that they have two freshman quarterbacks to kind of split that playing time. Give one guy three games, action in three games. Give one guy action in three games so that you don't hit that four-game mark. But, I mean, there was nothing really impressive here, obviously. Uh, like you said, a lot of those drops were not on him. They were on the receivers. But, I mean, just the, the hype that was surrounding Chubba Purdy did not match up to what was on the field. And, and I think a lot of that hype was just based on the, uh, the, the lack of wow factor that came from James Blackman. People were kind of like... Uh, saying the grass is greener on the other side even even though uh, Chuba was obviously an unknown quantity prior to Saturday they were like oh but what if he's really good what if he can pop well he now now we know he did not pop <laughs> Gabe what did you what were your thoughts on Chuba this Saturday I didn't really have many by that, by that point of the game it was just just complete pain and <laughs> suffering I couldn't really focus on the fact that Chuba was out there and it's it's also kind of hard to tell with him because the rest of the team was just also pretty disappointed with their performance. So I don't know exactly who was playing 100% motivated when Chuba came in. So I'm just going to give him a pass. And I, I would like for him to get more reps in garbage time just because I think he's better than Rodmaker, even though we haven't really seen either of them be successful so far. But he had the most hype coming in, so uh, he seems like a better bet right now. And I, I'm just wondering still what's going to happen next year because we all know that this season is the rebuilding Mike Norvell year one. What happens next season when Mike Norvell has that another off season to develop more his offense and he has an, an actual chance to, to have a quarterback battle? What's going to happen then? Yeah, and I mean, all four of the quarterbacks that are in the room right now, uh, theoretically, are going to be here next year because, I mean, James Blackman, I, b- I believe, has two more years of eligibility. Two, uh, count them. <laughs> yeah, including the uh, the one that was granted to all fall athletes uh, because of COVID-19. So, I mean, you're going to be seeing a lot of the same discussions that you're seeing right now heading into the 20, 2021 season. Uh, Can't wait. What are the chances, um, because I imagine we have some listeners that are um, more bearish on um, to to borrow a term from the stock market, more bearish on uh, James Blackman than anything. Um, what are the chances that he gets shot into the sun? Um, <laughs> Wait, who that? Who got shot into the sun? Blackman. Blackman, or, or just just you know. Um, There's a good chance he has two years of eligibility, like we said. But realistically, what are the chances that we actually see him eat over at least like one? I'm gonna give him like one year. Well, so the thing is, he is. Our age, he graduates in the spring of this year. Uh-huh. In theory, if he graduate, if he graduates on time, he'll be graduating in the spring of twenty one. He will have to be going to grad school if he wants to continue to play here. So he will have to go, either play here as a grad student or go as a grad transfer somewhere else. So it's going to come down to if does he want to get a graduate degree from Florida State University or does he want to get a graduate degree in another field or another at another university? But I want to get back to Chuba here because. I, when I say I wasn't wowed from what I saw from him, and I've obviously looked at some of his tape from high school, the wow factor really doesn't come for me there because of his throwing motion and his real his mechanics. Because it looks like a shot put motion. It's he's holding the phone, he's holding the football like it's a phone to his ear the whole time, and then he goes from there. If is, you can imagine it that way. Is this still from his from his high school tape where he's where he's doing these motions, or is this like are you talking about? A Saturday's performance. I've looked and compared the tape from both Saturday and his high school, his high school, his senior uh, high school highlights on Huddle. Right. So, and because I know we talked about it earlier, you thought possibly it could be a, the yeah, issue relates to his collarbone, and that's a fair assumption. I think it's. I, I think it's. So, if his throwing motion isn't great in high school, that's one thing he needs to to learn how to do. It again, looks nearly the same. Uh, that's the problem. The 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 injury that we uh, that we're focused on, which is I think a broken collarbone. Yes, correct. Uh, happened during the summer, right? The second uh, scrimmage of the summer practice, summer slash fall practice. That's kind of big because that means so. First of all, your 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 initial throwing motion isn't isn't rock solid, or at least to the standard that you kind of should expect from a quarterback in the uh, ACC. Um, that's one thing, but the fact that you can't practice at all 
and you know uh, maintain one singular fluid motion because like like we were talking um, early in the or before the show um, you move your chest like uh, what is it a total of 270 degrees of motion I'm doing there's a lot of rotation and a lot of movement involved in throwing a football it's kind of the same mechanics when throwing a baseball just obviously a little bit less arm extension but still there should be some arm extension in Chubba's in a in a typical quarterback throwing motion Chubba it looked as if when he was playing this Saturday he was trying to baby the football and kind of just lightly put it in there. Mm-hmm. And those passes are not going to work in the Division One college football level because if you do not find a way to rifle a ball in there and thread a ball between a couple defenders, you are going to get picked off. We saw Russell Wilson last night in that game. His pass that got picked off by Buda Baker, and thankfully for his sake, he had DK Metcalf there to chase him down. <laughs> that was a lobbed pass. He did not put anything behind it. He kind of just lobbed it out there, and Buda read it well and took it almost to the house. So that was almost the same kind of comparison to how he Chubba threw all nine of his passes. I'm, I'm willing to give like Chubba, not a pass, but like a like a, a moment to kind of uh, comp- well, you know, develop because for for one, like we said, pretty much immediately that as soon as he got here and started playing in the practice fields and at Doak uh, during scrimmages, um, he got hurt bad. That like a collarbone break is is no no fun in games for anybody. Mm-hmm. We I don't know how how fresh he is off of PT. I know he's been on the sidelines for most of the games this season, but I I I think you gotta you gotta give him a chance now. Now he has. Is he's kind of entered that next step where it's like, okay, you're no longer really looking. Well, you're still looking at your high school tape, but that's not what's important. What we're going to look at is we're going to look at your your game tape now, and we can see exactly what's going on with your throws in the exact situations that we expect you to be in for the next three years to some capacity. Here's hoping we do see that because uh, you know you you want to see a guy succeed. Um, uh, if he's a Florida State Seminole, I, I, yes, it, it's been, it would be nice to see him succeed, but I want to mainly see a lot of growth because when it comes down to it, college is a minor league for the NCAA college level is minor league for the NFL. Yeah, you're right. And you're they right. and NFL scouts and coaches they want to develop these players and produce talent that they can send to the league and say, hey, look at this, this guy can play well. He came from this school. And then it kind of trickles down to the high school recruiting level where they say, hey, we got this guy, we further developed him, we fixed some of his issues, and we sent him off to the NFL and look where he is now. No, so You're absolutely right, but like like what, like what, I'm saying, it's that he hasn't had the time. Like, So his timeline right yes. now is is scrimmage, break, physical ther- or, um, recuperation, then physical therapy, and I don't know where the physical therapy ends or has ended because it might not. He still might be working on those issues. And now he's doing snaps. You got to give the kid time. Oh no! I oh, know. I'm all I'm saying is I want to see him develop and progress. I like success. That's fine if you can show that you are progressing and you are willing to maybe break some old habits because throwing motions like that and it, it really is something tough to buck there. So it's going to be interesting to see how he develops throughout the rest of his four years here, possibly four years. Who knows how many years? But it's going to be interesting to see him develop as a football player. Gabe, do you have any last-second thoughts on Chubba? Look, Gary, I appreciate when every pundit is trying to be realistic. I'm usually trying to be realistic, but don't take Chubba away from me. That's one of the few <laughs> things that I'm trying to look forward to next season. And if I don't have Chubba, then I don't know what I got. So I'm just... let's just try to give him a break for this game. There were a lot of drops. He's coming with therapy. Yes. You know, let's oh. make it easy on him. Yeah, I'm giving him some breaks here and there, but I'm just saying I'm looking, taking a look at his mechanics, and mechanics are a big thing for me when I'm looking at an athlete, baseball, football, whatever. I like to look into those kind of things. But, yeah, it's sure. it's going to be a lot for him to kind of get to the point where I like to see a quarterback develop and progress to. But let's talk about what Florida State has in front of them this week, and it is bye week number two. Yep. This is kind of interesting. We don't re- you don't really get too many double bye weeks in a season, so that's just 2020 for you. But they have this bye week, and then next week they will be taking on the Pittsburgh Panthers in Doak Campbell Stadium. That was actually scheduled for now a four o'clock start on the ACC network, so that'll be good. Not a noon game in Tallahassee. You love to see that. But what do you guys want to see out of this Florida State team going into this bye week? I would like to see at least one of Tamari on Terry or Hamza Nazarene healthy because I believe the, the prognosis for Terry was a three or four week recovery time from his minor surgery, and that lines up with uh, the game against Pitt. Obviously, not a lot heard from Hamza Nazarene. We've kind of been hinting at it, or not hinting at, but like 
hoping he would return every week uh, for the season so far. So, I mean, if one of those guys can be healthy, then they can change the game on their side of the ball. And if both of them are available for Pitt, then that's going to be a huge boon for Florida State. Gabe? I've I've said it so many times. (laughs) I don't know how many more times I'm going to have to say it. But, like, Bill Belichick says, do your job. Stop having more than 10 penalties in a game. And also work on tackling. There were so, so many... My, my coach back in high school would say loaf plays, which stands for lack of effort. And, yeah, I mean, the defense needs to just look and look themselves in the mirror and say, was that really our best effort? And I hope the answer is no, because if not, then, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I agree with the tackling. I agree with the Hamsa and Terry, because the Hamsa and tackling go hand in hand because Absolutely. he led this team in tackling for a while with this for Florida State. So having him back would be a huge boost to this secondary who – generally struggles with tackling but the one thing that I want Florida State to work on this week or I want to see out of them is the two things that an athlete or a player can always control and that is their attitude and their effort and if they can do that and they can improve with those two things they will have a chance to beat Pittsburgh this next week because Pittsburgh has had a lot of ups and downs this year they have not wowed me in any respect they've scored three on Notre Dame this past week so maybe that's a little bit of an upside I know we said that about Louisville Louisville only scored seven on Notre Dame but held them to 12 so we'll see how the Notre Dame uh barometer does in this next matchup Sebastian do you have any last thing that you would like to see out of the bye week Uh, I miss football (laughs) (laughs) don't worry it'll be back in a week just wait we got a lot of football to hold you over we got NFL other college we got the Mountain West and the Big Ten that we'll get to in just a moment. But thank you, Gabe, for coming on for this half. We really appreciate you and your analysis of this Florida State football team. No problem, guys. I'll be tuning in for the next half. All right. We'll talk to you later, man. Have a good night. And we will be going to the break here. Next half, we're going to be talking some college football around the nation, MLB World Series, and a little bit of NFL Roundup. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm your host, Gary Putnick. I'm joined by Austin Reynolds, Sebastian Angel Riano. And now for this half of the show, Max Escarpio, freshman at Florida State, rookie to V89. Max, how are you doing tonight? What's up, guys? Good, good, good. Um, So let's talk a little bit about some college football. We had our first look at the Big Ten and the Mountain West this week. Probably won't talk that much Mountain West football. I know these guys don't (laughs) like talking about that division that much as much as I do myself, but... 
let's talk about the Big Ten. They had a lot better and more interesting games. We can start with what I was, I guess a lot of us would tout as the game of the week right now. And that was Penn State, number nine Penn State, or number eight Penn State, against unranked Indiana. They lost in wild fashion, 36 to 35. And that was all because of a running back that decided not to go uh, go down before the goal line. He realized that about a yard too late. And then a interesting call on a uh, two-point conversion in overtime where Indiana quarterback rolled left, dove for the pylon. It looked like the ball may have touched the out-of-bounds line, the sideline, just before reaching the pylon, but the refs did not believe there was enough to overturn that call as they initially ruled it a touchdown. And so the Hoosiers upset the Nittany Lions and knocked them. I think Nitt- I think. Penn State is now out of the top 20, or they are now number 18. They went from 8 to 18 after that loss. And Indiana is actually now at 17. Uh-huh. Rightfully so. Finally, we're getting rankings right, and we're putting teams that beat other teams in front of those teams. So good on the AP this week. But, Austin, what was your uh, analysis of this game and how it went? I mean, before Sunday, I was kind of laughing at it. And, and I say before Sunday because my Falcons lost the exact same way. Todd really realized about a half yard too late that he should be going down. Um, but I, I already gave my thoughts on that. Um, In the moment, though, I mean, I'm not a big Penn State fan myself, so I was kind of rooting for the upset. I tend to root for the upset in games that don't involve teams that I root for. So, I mean, this was a really fun viewing experience, and it just shows, like, you can't take anything for granted. I mean, these these initial rankings, the AP rankings, are great uh, for for teams that haven't uh, played a game yet. Like, I know people are questioning the validity of having some Big Ten teams, Big Ten teams, rather, uh, ranked as high as they were, namely Ohio State and Penn State. But, I mean, it just shows how volatile this uh, this season has been and will continue to be. Well, if I had it my way, Coastal Carolina would be ahead of all these Big Ten teams, of except course. for Ohio State. Sebastian? I'm actually one of the people who was, you know, not really clowning the Big Ten, but was saying, oh, I, I have no clue why 0-0 teams are ranked in certain positions in the AP Top 25. I'm going to walk that back right now. <laughs> I'm going to say that I, I, I have to eat my words because, you know, Guess what, guys? Ohio State is still Ohio State. I w- I'm I'm kind of shocked that I, I'm kind of shocked, but yeah, no, that that ends up being the case. Ohio State is still Ohio State, and um, you know what? Even even after what we said last week, we were like, you know, who would you take? Like a a two loss Georgia over a five and zero. Uh, Ohio State. I, I, you know what? I'm going to take Ohio State. I'm now. taking Ohio State. I'm, I'm going to walk that I back. I, I got to eat my words. They they dominated Nebraska and Scott Frost, who should just go back to UCF. Just go back to Luke <laughs> Fay. Luke Fay will accept him with open arms. But Max, what did you think about this Ohio State 52 to 17 win over the Huskers on Saturday? I mean, Ohio State will definitely always be Ohio State with their recruiting and their coaching has been there. But uh, I mean, they dominated them the whole game, rushing, throwing. The whole game, it was Ohio State. Is there a chance, let's just say, is there a chance that Justin Fields could somehow still win the Heisman, even though he's going to play a far or a lot less games than a Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones or any of these other guys who are in contention? I definitely think there's a chance because we're looking at Justin Fields and he's one of the best players in the nation right now. But that's going to be very tough because Trevor Lawrence has definitely played a, a great, has definitely had a great season. Derek King has definitely had a great season. And uh, Alabama's receiver that just got down with a knee injury had a great season as well. So, I mean, he had a chance, but it's going to be tough. Yeah, poor Jalen Waddle. I mean, that was yeah. tough, especially on the first kickoff. And I saw Nick Saban yeah. just did not want him to return it. And sad to see that he's now done for the year. So hopefully he'll be able to make his return for the NFL Combine and get drafted where he deserves to be drafted. But, Austin, what do you think, what do you think about Fields? Um, Fields, I mean, I think he's a legitimate MVP, or not MVP. Pretty I think much. Thinking, thinking pro football. Pretty much MVP. I mean, yeah, a Heisman candidate. Um, I think the Heisman race is going to be a lot closer this year than in past years, just by virtue of so many conferences having, like, mismatched schedules. If Ohio State uh, does end up playing their full schedule, they'll have eight or nine games, considering they'll probably be in the, the Big Ten championship game, um, compared to some other teams playing 11 or 12. So, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of evaluates uh, players and especially teams when we talk about the college football playoff. But I think Justin Fields was phenomenal last year, and I fully expect him to 
keep up his reign of dominance this year and put himself firmly in the Heisman conversation. Well, speaking of a reign of dominance, or maybe a new reign of dominance, we got Graham Mertz at yeah. Wisconsin. I mean, the kid looked phenomenal. Also, just like Justin Fields, both were 20 for 21 passing-wise, and Mertz had 248 yards in the air, including five touchdowns, which you never see out of Wisconsin. Wisconsin never puts out five passing touchdowns. But he has recently tested positive for coronavirus, and they're waiting on a second test to confirm that. And if he is confirmed to be positive, he will be out 21 days, according to the Big Ten uh, COVID protocol. And so that means he will miss his next three games, which would be against Nebraska, Purdue, and the big one against Michigan, who just had a pretty good win at Minnesota on Saturday night. So does this, are Wisconsin still a contender if this uh, kind of suspension goes through, or is it still Ohio State's conference? It's still nothing to worry about for the Big Ten. I think they're still in contention because, I mean, there's a chance that Ohio State could slip up somewhere down the road like there is with every, every, every team. But obviously a second positive test would handicap this team greatly. I have no idea who sits behind uh, Graham Mertz as quarterback two on this roster. And, I mean, Wisconsin teams of past have uh, definitely leaned on the run game, I would say. Uh, quarterbacks haven't really been the focus there until Graham Mertz hopped on the scene. So, like, they should have a solid uh, run game to lean back on. But, I mean, the, the play that we saw this this past weekend was phenomenal, and it, it can't be replicated by somebody else, I wouldn't think. Well, I mean, their best quarterback since Mertz has been Alex Hornibrook. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> it's really, it's it's not great look. But, Slim Pickens. Uh, Max, do you think uh, Wisconsin can still make a push even though Mertz is going to be out for these three, possibly out for these three games? I definitely think they can still make a push. Uh, I think Ohio State still has the potential in that, that field, but um, I, yeah, I think so. But they'll, they'll miss it for sure. I agree. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And Ohio State, they have a pretty a pretty easy schedule, in my opinion, coming Naturally. up. They got Penn State next week. They got Rutgers, who they Rutgers might sneak up on them. That's going to be a that's that's not going to be a game they can look ahead to because they'll have Maryland right after. Who Talia Tungavaloa? I mean, he is not his brother. No. He is nowhere near. He looked bad. I think he had no touchdowns, three interceptions, was under ten completions. I mean, Chuba would have looked a lot better in that system <laughs> than Talia Tungavaloa. But it's Ohio State's going to have another easy route to the Big Ten East title because. Michigan really will be their only test at the end of the year, and they'll probably still beat them easily. So let's get on to, I think that's pretty much all we have college football-wise. There really isn't that much more to go on. We had a lot of SEC teams not playing this week. Georgia did not play. Uh, Florida still has not played. That's their second week in a row not playing due to COVID. And there really just weren't a ton of interesting games other than the ones that were occurring in the Big Ten this week. So let's move on to a little bit of the World Series, that that other thing going on right now, because we still have a lot of sports happening right now. This is Monday night. This night's a weird night because we only have one game on. It's just mm-hmm. Monday night football. It's just uh, Bears, Rams. So that'll be fun to watch. But baseball, they'll be back tomorrow night for game six as the Dodgers are now up three to two in the series after five games. Game five or game three was a bl- uh, pretty big blowout. Game four, game four was one of the best baseball games, one of the best World Series games that we've yep. ever seen. A lot of fun to watch. And then last night was another great duel by, for, or not really a pitcher's duel at all, because Glass now kind of got rocked, or didn't get kind of get rocked. He got rocked by the L.A. Bats, and Kershaw looked good again. I mean, Kershaw, I was joking about it last week when I said, I would love to give the MVP to Kershaw, but it probably just won't happen because it's tough to give a playoff M- or a World Series MVP to a pitcher. But... He's looking good right now, and I want to ask you guys the question. Is it time to admit Clayton Kershaw's a good pitcher in the postseason? I mean, the, the stats have always been there to support that he's been a solid postseason pitcher. It's just the meme of whenever he's in a, in a pinch, uh, in a, in a must-win, or like very important game for the Dodgers in the World Series, he kind of unravels. And I mean, like his, his numbers in those kind of games are nowhere near as good as other postseason games of his. Um, but, I mean, he's... He's never been bad in the playoffs, I would say. So, I mean, he, he's had a couple good performances in the World Series to kind of dispel that notion. But, I mean, I, I've always been of the opinion that he's better than people give him credit for. I agree. Sebastian, did you have something to say? 
Well, uh, Kershaw's been like a, a middle-of-the-road type pitcher, usually. Middle-of-the-road type pitcher, Clayton oh, Kershaw? Oh, okay, are we, okay, who's okay. in games and postseason games, talking about? especially <laughs> when you compare him to his regular season form? I'm not saying he's not one of the best to ever play. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. You just called him a middle-of-the-road pitcher. <laughs> I mean, middle-of-the-road pitcher in the postseason because his ERA okay, is like okay, th- okay, or four um, from oh, the man. ALDS, and it gets worse and worse as you go deeper into the playoff season. Excuse me, the NLDS, not the ALDS. Um but the biggest improvement that Clinton Ker- that I've seen out of Clinton Kershaw this year compared to his other World Series campaigns uh, of the past five or so years, it feels like at this point, is the fact that he, he's not getting in those unraveling situations. It's not just not unraveling, because he did have potentially one last night, mm-hmm. which was um, Marco stealing home. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh which my. almost <laughs> happened. It, but was it they didn't they had they had no challenges left to use yeah they used it all up um, on a couple of steals earlier in the game I, I don't recall why they didn't challenge uh, they didn't challenge that but um, Clinton Kershaw could have easily balked could have easily been um, unnerved like like a horse uh, mm-hmm. without blinders right but he didn't that's and true th- that's a that's a that's a big deal for him it was grace under pressure and that's yeah. something that's tough to get down because this season this season his era is spectacular compared mm-hmm. to his other um postseason campaigns his era is like a what a 218 it's right uh, now four in, and one 218 i think uh, that's what his era yeah. and record are respectively yeah. and in these two uh, world series games he has pitched 11 and uh, two-thirds innings he's given up only Three runs. He's given up only was that five, three? Is that oh, no? Sorry, that's seven hits. He's only walked three batters and he struck out fourteen. So I mean, he's looking. He's re- not putting himself into situations where he could potentially collapse. He's, exactly. He's biting. Uh, he's nipping his issues in the butt. He's playing perfect baseball. He's that's pull- what I really wanted to get at. Is he's he's playing terrific. Like this year, he's always good. He's always great in the regular season. He's always good in the postseason. But this year, he is inspired. Um, He's made. He's done everything in his power to ensure that he gets a ring either tomorrow night or Wednesday night. We don't know yet. There's still a lot of baseball to be played. Uh, nine innings feels like a million years as of late. Oh yeah, and credit to Margot there on that steal for on that attempted steal at home plate. That was a perfect read there. As Kershaw loves to put his hands outstretched over his head and take a while to come down, and that's something that you can't do, especially for a lefty who has his back turned to the third, runner on third base. Margot just made great read and just went for it and somehow came up a little bit short by the grace of the umpire's decision there. But Max, did you, what have you been your opinion and what your thoughts are on Clayton Kershaw so far this World Series? I mean, we've definitely seen the history of him choking in the postseason, but he's one of the greatest pitchers we've ever seen and he's one of the greatest pitchers in the game right now. But this postseason, he's had a 2.93 ERA with 37 strikeouts. So he's making sure he'll get his ring this year. Does Clayton Kershaw, if say if 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 the Dodgers win this World Series, and let's say Clayton comes out of the bullpen, Madison Bumgarner esque, and makes a big stop, does Clayton Kershaw get the World Series MVP? Max, we'll start with you on this one. I mean, that's tough, but he's definitely deserved it. You look at their best two hitters, Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, and the last two games they've been pretty poor. Bellinger's been two for two for fifteen with four strikeouts, and Mookie's been one for ten. So, if you look at the best player and you look at the one who's not carrying them but playing the best on their team and leading them to wins, I think so for sure. I completely agree with that. I mean, he's been the most consistent player for the Dodgers when he's been in during this World Series run. Obviously, pitchers can't play every game, uh, so it's hard to kind of uh, get a, a pool of results. To, comparable to that of a really good hitter but I mean the the MVP itself has kind of turned into more of a narrative award across all sports and just Clayton Kershaw breaking the narrative that he is a postseason choker and coming out as dominant as he has come out in these playoffs and potentially leading his team to a World Series I think that narrative is more than deserving of the award yeah that's good analysis there and let's talk about a little bit about tomorrow night's game they got game six LA will be the home team for this one still in Texas of course and on the bump, the Rays will have Blake Snell going against Gonsolin, Ryan Gonsolin. Gonsolin got just tattooed last game by the Tampa Bay Rays. He has a 9-3-9 ERA and 0-2 in this postseason so far. So not really anything to tip your cap to, but like if the Rays will win any game of the, these last two, 
they win tomorrow night, in my opinion. So, do you guys are you guys on the same wavelength there? Or are the Ray, are the Dodgers clinching tomorrow? I can, in fact, confirm that tomorrow is a must win for the Tampa Bay Rays. What about a can't lose? I'd say it's a can't lose. You can't lose that one because if you lose, the series is over. I don't. I don't think I'd say it's a can't lose because at that point you're playing not to lose. It, it has to be a must win because at that point you're playing to win, which, but if is, you which don't, is ideal. But if you don't lose, then you win. That's that's a really binary way of thinking about it. <laughs> we out here hemorrhaging brain cells right now, live on Tomahawk Talk. Exactly. But no, are, are you guys on the same wave, wavelength that this one, if the Rays will probably win this game tomorrow night? Yeah. I think they'll clinch in game six for sure. All right. Okay. That's okay. I was not expecting that. I was really, I don't know, by the way that the matchup is lining up right now, Snell has been a lot better than Gonsolin. And it's going to be a long night for the pen for that uh, Dodgers team, as it was the last time Gonsolin was trotted out there. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, I would definitely, I mean, I don't know if I would lean towards the Rays tomorrow night, but I would definitely lean towards them more tomorrow than I would in Game 7, just based off the inconsistency of Gonsolin. So, I mean, I I still am not changing my prediction from Dodgers in 6. I'm sticking with that because their hitting has been phenomenal all postseason, and you, you just really can't deny this team. I mean, Rays fans, I'm sorry. Sebastian, I'm sorry. Um... I just think they are the team of destiny this year. I, I don't blame you at all, Austin. Um, last time I was comfortable, I'm not going to be comfortable going into any um, one of these one or potentially two matchups. Last time I was comfortable was the Bueller Morton matchup. So I was like, oh man, it's, it's, it's Charlie freaking Morton. He's going <laughs> to he's going to work his magic again, uh-huh. and that that didn't happen. So um, I, I don't know. Um, you're not going to get anything out of me when it comes to predictions. Because, as always, I will abstain from, from certain matchups like this. Uh, I, I'm not feeling comfortable because every single, it's like you said, Austin, every single question that the Rays have posed, any, single, any sort of advantage, the Dodgers always have an answer. And the Rays do not, it feels like they, it's not that they ran out of gas, it's just that, like, they burned everything to get to this point, and it's not that they, and they're just kind of playing around with borrowed time. Um, if if anything, it is it is both a, a joy and a tragedy that the Snell is going to get the start tomorrow. Snell has been phenomenal, and it and you know if Snell see, if Blake Snell sees the race through to a game seven, it's a tragedy he won't be starting it, or he probably won't be um, at any point. You know, like the uh, that classic. Oh, uh, the Rays are just going to throw a dude in here for uh, the matchup for three pitchers or for three batters, and that's it because you can't do that on no days rest. I'm sorry, earlier I called Tony Gonsolin, Ryan Gonsolin. I, was, I flipped yeah. the names. Yeah, my bad. I knew I was wrong there. I just went within, just hope that I threw the dart at the board, and I'm completely missed. Sorry, Tony Gonsolin. But um, let's do some quick predictions about what we got for the score, and obviously if the series ends tomorrow night. Um, we know Max, we know you like the Dodgers in this one, but what are you going to give us a score for this game? 6-4 Dodgers. Oh, man. He, he took my exact prediction because <laughs> I was thinking – Tony, or, uh, yeah, Tony Gonsolin is probably going to give up a few runs early in the game, get pulled earlier than uh, Dave Roberts would have liked. But, I mean, I-, I think that the Dodgers' bullpen has been super clutch this year outside of, uh, obviously, the gaff in Game 4 that's led to the Rays' win. Uh, so I'm thinking th- the Rays put a couple runs on the board early, but the Dodgers are able to respond late and do come away with the win 6-4. Sebastian, we know you're abstaining from any sort of predictions yeah, in this series, so we will, we will all assume what you are choosing tomorrow night. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to change. Don't assume anything. There's nothing to assume. I'm not. I don't. I have a dog in the fight, but I won't claim one. I know. Okay, we got you. But um, I'm going to change my prediction. I know I said Dodgers in six last week. I'm going to go Dodgers in seven. I think the Rays come out with a little bit more fire and a little bit that energy because because it's a can't lose game. And if they lose, hey, the series it's over. So I like the Rays tomorrow, or I like the Rays tomorrow night five to four. So going to be a close one, but I like the Tampa Bay Rays chances. So we're not It'll going. Definitely come down to Blake Snell's pitching for sure. I agree. Yeah, it's going. To, and so if they can get through with only Snell giving up a couple of runs, uh, they're going to be in a very good position because that bullpen. And oh my, I okay. I'm gonna have to bring it up. Diego Castillo coming in in early innings in the seventh or earlier innings. I just don't like it. You're burning your closer too early. I know Brett Rutherford would throw a million stats at me saying this is why you're wrong, but just gut wise and just. Baseball-wise, it just does not make sense. So I don't know. It's it blew my mind the other night when I first saw it. I was like, I know because I noticed it for one of the first times. I'm sure they've done it previous times this season, but 
it just doesn't make sense, especially in a World Series game where you have to have a guy that you know can lock it down in the ninth inning or lock it down in the eighth because seven innings, you can't go for a nine-out save, and it's tough. You would, I'd rather put my guy in a situation where he only has to go for six or less. So a really tough situation that they put Diego Castillo in the past couple of nights, but it's. I just hope they don't do it. I hope Kevin Cash does not do it tomorrow night. Or, yeah. Tomorrow night, yeah. I, I, w- I would agree. I mean, I think that pitching decisions are really always hard to uh, to, to justify in the moment because you feel one way about a certain pitcher. You think another guy should go in, especially with those late bullpen choices. And, I mean, sometimes it ends up backfiring on you, and sometimes you just get completely proven wrong. A guy that everybody counts out is the World Series hero. So, I mean... I'm not in that bullpen. I'm not in that organization. I am not going to make any comments on uh, what I think is the right choice. I'm just going to let it all happen and see what happens. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. But let's talk about some NFL uh, around the league right now because there's there's been a lot of good stuff happening this past week. We had the Cardinals-Seahawks in a phenomenal Sunday night football Fun. game. We had the Cowboys just getting whooped up on, but let's <laughs> let's and let's start with the Cowboys because they're always fun to talk about. But sadly for Andy Dalton's sake, he just he got knocked out of the game with a tough shoulder to helmet hit there and full concussion protocol exactly um, what was the name of the uh the washington linesman i'm actually not sure blanking on his name right now but either way it's ejected from the game uh yeah doesn't he doesn't face a suspension though yeah i'd say you could be seeing a suspension come down soon i mean usually it comes down on monday and we're uh, yeah. at the end of monday's business day at least the the d lineman's name is john bostick for washington there we go john bostick so that was a tough one. They lo- they lose to the Washington football team 25-3 to in just a ugly game. I mean, it's just yeah. it's the NFC East kind of cannibalizing itself over and over again. But they earlier in that week, they had, or Jane Slater reported that some of the, or an anonymous Cowboys player said, quote, totally, the coaching staff relating to them is totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. And then another said, quote, they just aren't good at their jobs. After this, yeah. after their Monday night route of, or being ran through by the Arizona Cardinals, who are looking like a pretty good team right now. So are the Cowboys just done? Is Mike McCarthy not going to be here next season? Are we going to see one of the quicker coaching changes in the NFL? I don't think they can him after one season, but it, it is going to have to take a massive turnaround without Dak Prescott and potentially without Andy Dalton for a game or two to flip the mentality here in this locker room. Because I, I think I remember yesterday after the game, uh, someone was asking McCarthy about like the, the fact that no Cowboys players got up in the face of John Bostick or like uh, had a little confrontation with the, uh, the Washington players after that dirty hit on Dalton. And he said he was really disappointed that they weren't like getting more fired up for their quarterback. So the issues definitely are, are not solely with uh, players stemming from the coaching uh, practices. There could be issues among players, and I mean that's that makes for a really unhealthy locker room environment. And obviously, losing twenty-five to three to a team that is largely thought to be one of the worst teams in the NFL is not going to fix things. So that is just a train wreck of an organization right now, and I don't see things getting better anytime soon. What can't be said about the NFC East that has been said about Afghanistan? It all looks bombed out and depleted. I still don't oh know why. Goodness, we man! Time. <laughs> wow, that came out. That that reference came out of left yeah. field. I was not expecting that to come into the show tonight. But what we've got, what we've got though, in this matchup is that we've got a one-sided affair between a team that has a QB problem where they don't really know in which direction they want to go, uh, mostly because that the QB that they wanted didn't pan out. And uh, a situation where a promising offensive um, team has had the rug pulled out from underneath them, both because their uh, WR1 forgot how to catch a ball <laughs> and because the, um, their quarterback uh, suffered a brutal injury at the hands of a division rival. Um, these, both these teams are, are, are in a tailspin, I think. Uh, Ron Riviera, by the way, uh, finally done with his cancer treatments. Props Congratulations. Love to see Congratulations. But, here, wait. Okay. I think I think that that ship is slowly going to right. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened with uh, Dwayne Haskins. I, I really don't. No, nobody outside of the organization does at the moment. Um, we we just gotta wait and see. But um, you once once that mess because then what that what that QB room is right now is a mess. Uh, once this, once that mess gets um, sorted out. Um, that team is in a 
potential playoff race. It's crazy what they're in right now. And I want to talk about a little bit about the quarterback situation in Dallas because that's also a very interesting one. Because Andy Dalton is now out. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks, most likely, with this concussion. That means, as of right now, Ben DiNucci, sounds like he should be working for Tony Soprano over there in New Jersey, will be the starter in theory. Got any Gabagool places in uh, in Dallas? Probably not. But do the Cowboys, Max, I want to get your thought on this. Do the Cowboys go out and make a trade for a quarterback? Because there are some backups out there that are looking pretty tasty. It could be maybe a Jameis Winston. It could be maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick. The word tasty because... was intentional, wasn't it? What? The oh, word yeah. tasty was intentional. We're going to eat James a W. Wins. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe Jameis is going to be eating some W's in Dallas in Slow just a moment. Roasted but and barbecue dubs. Max, what are your thoughts? And do the Cowboys stick with Danucci or do they go to another direction? I don't think they need to add to the mess of bringing Jameis Winston into this. But I think Ryan Fitzpatrick would be a good fit there. Throwing to Stevie Lamb and uh, Amari Cooper, I think that would be good. And he's a veteran that could teach um, Ben Danucci and other players there how to be a good professional. So I think I bringing actually- him into the situation would be good for the team. I got one last thing to go through right now because we are pushing right up against 8 o'clock right now. Give me one word, all three of you guys. Give me one word to describe Sunday night football against between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Awesome, we'll start with you. Electric. Max? Insane. Sebastian? Holding, why? <laughs> Good one there. For all you DK Metcalf fantasy holders, that is what exactly you'd be thinking right now. But that's all we got for this episode of Tomahawk Talk. Thank you to Austin, Sebastian, Max, Gabe, and Scott running the Twitter. I forgot to mention Scott was running the Twitter. That just slipped my mind at the beginning of the show. I'm sorry for that, Scott. But that's all we got for this episode of Tomahawk Talk. Go follow us on our Instagram and Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk at V89sports also on Twitter as well and Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.